You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders. I'm Alice. I help connect businesses with tech talent. And today, I'm your host. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Evolution Exchange Podcast. In today's podcast, we'll be focusing on the topic of executing effective leadership to align with the company's vision. We have newer returning guests on our panel today, so I'll get Raghu, who is joining us for the second time, to start us off with introductions on who you are and what you're passionate about. Raghu? Uh, thanks, thanks, Alex. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Raghavendra. Friends and co- uh, colleagues call me Raghu. I've been working in the software industry for uh, over 17 years now, and in the past uh, 10 years, I've been leading uh, teams. Currently, I'm working as a technical services manager at MIOB, and uh, my teams are responsible for any integrations and customizations in all the MIOB products. I uh, am passionate about converting the problems into solutions in software side. And uh, apart from work, I play cricket. I play table tennis uh, when I have some time. Over to you, Alice. Hello. Thanks, Raghu. So I might get you, Philip, to introduce you uh, yourself next. Sure. Well, my name is Philip. I've been in the industry for, geez, it's been 24 years. It's, it's like my my career is now not even a teenager. It's a young adult. It scares me sometimes. Um, what I'm really passionate about is is a couple of things. And the professional side of it, I started off as a developer and I, I've been working my way up all the way to up to manager and played all different roles like principal engineer and whatnot. Uh, but now I'm working for Zip as an engineering manager, looking after the acquisitions team and on the growth side. So what I'm really passionate about um, in my own personal life is really just building things, gaming, music. I mean, pretty much anything creative that I get my hands on that involves me building an entire world. I mean, it just happens to be that I'm lucky to be in an industry where I get to build things with people. And that's why I'm an engineering manager. Thank you, Philip. And Dan, over to you. Hey, g'day. So I'm uh, Dan Ward. I'm a tech team lead at Car Sales. Um, I've been there for a bit over eight years and I've been working in the industry for somewhere around 12 now, I think. Um, I look after the private sale product uh, at Car Sales, so helping individual users to create their items on site and manage them across the network sites here in Australia, as well as Latin America. Um, and I like to split my focus between helping my team members to build their careers and grow their skills, as well as uh, designing scalable and robust architecture that's going to stand the test of time and um, product requirement shifts as much as feasible. Uh, and outside of work, uh, I've got many hobbies, but much like Philip, I like to create and build things. Um, most recently, that's lended itself to a lot of renovation and woodworking. Cool, cool, cool. Thanks so much, everyone. So now I might get straight into our discussion. And, um, you know, I think it'd be really good if we can first start by um, defining the leadership within our topic. And I think your question, Raghu, was really great for that. So I'd like to ask you first, actually. um, So what is the role of leaders within the organization um, to have the teams align with companies' vision? 
So that's uh, first of all thanks for bringing us all together um i know it's <laughs> sharing the experience as well as hearing to what others um uh, have in the similar world it really helps to learn from each other um back to the question uh, i think leaders i know it's a, it's a crucial role and especially uh, in getting the vision um they have to own the vision they act as a bridge from transferring the vision all the way from the top management all to the employees and the main challenge is for them to believe in the vision to own that make it theirs because it is not just that you know, uh, if they can say that no this is not what i want and then move on they have to believe in it they have to own it and then they have to go back to their team and sell it again they have to make sure that all the team is on board with the vision they need to ensure how each of them are contributing to the vision and then they they make sure that all the engine is is running they, they make sure that overall the the entire team uh, and the entire engagement is in line with the uh, vision which has been delivered at the, at the top level so from taking it up from there um from the top management all the way to uh, to make sure that everybody is engaged is what the uh, leaders from a day to day do Yeah, definitely. I agree. Thanks for that, Raghu. Uh, might get you, Philip, to maybe share your thoughts. Um, I could easily simplify that. It's it's the role of a leader is to point to the mountaintop and say, "This is where we can be if we all work together to get there." Uh, that's one. The second part really is to get out of the way. <laughs> As a leader, I always find myself to be the slowest person in the team and why is that? Because I want to make sure that we capitalize on the skill of our team members. I'm not I I can't do what my team members do. I I I'm going to be honest and upfront about that. We hire people because of how good they are and as leaders the best thing we can do is get out of the way and point them to where we all should be going that's the best thing we can do for our teams and that's how we align them as well there's also something to be said about pointing them to putting the team to go in that direction and guide them through those tough spots where it sometimes it's not the most glamorous thing in the world but as long as we can show them where we can be even though we go through those rough spots that's that's where it's going to make a difference Cool. Thanks so much. Uh, Dan, I'll pass it on to you. Sure. Thanks, Alice. Um, I really like that mountaintop analogy, Philip. I think um, uh, for me, it's really around that core of using the vision to drive the goals for your product and for the the products that you're adjacent to within the organization. Um, so, um, you know, the the business has one overarching vision available but what does that mean for your team and how does it influence the projects and the goals and the outcomes that you desire um so making sure that at every inception meeting uh bringing that vision um front and center and then uh using it to drive the outcomes which in turn design the solution that you're going to come up with and the work breakdown that the team needs to do and then we as leaders get to weave all of that together um as both of you have highlighted already to craft a story to motivate and direct our team and usually get out of the way as you said mate um i've also found it uh helps immensely in the alignment between the squads um you know uh, there's a lot of 
small to mid-sized priorities that are often competing, especially when one or more teams need to work together and falling back to that core vision um, and aligning based on that can really help solve those types of scheduling problems. Um, I've used that once or twice myself. <laughs> completely agree uh, on that, Dan, because it is easy to get lost when we are doing day-to-day -day activities day after day after day. And then uh, it is easy just to lose sight of what's ahead of us. And and like Philip mentioned, you know, having that uh, um, guidance at the tough spots and always ensuring that where we are going towards it, it really helps. Mm. I, I draw a lot of similarities um, to team sports on this in particular. I've uh, had a little bit of sport uh, in my background and uh, taking AFL as an example, you know, you've got the overarching team goal seems simple enough, right? Win. Uh, the But what that means for the individual squads on the field between the forwards, the midfields, the backs can be very different. Forwards want to kick goals. The defenders want to stop goals from being kicked and the midfields want to be in a position to help the forwards score goals. But if they're not also helping the defenders to transition um, when it is time critical to do so, nobody's going to achieve that overarching goal. So you have a coach on the sidelines who can help um, set that initial vision, but it's about up to the leaders between individual squads on the field to help direct and explain the nuances of how they're going to contribute towards that and then aligning with the other squads when it is pivotal to do so. Wow, thanks guys. Like I'm really loving all the analogies here. Um, but yeah, now we're going to shift our focus a little bit more towards the company's vision. And with that in mind, Dan, um, if you could start us off um, and share with us if there's any recent changes or updates to your company's vision and what did that mean for your team's product and goals? Sure. So um, for those who aren't familiar, uh, CarSales is you know a digital marketplace um, that makes uh, buying and selling a great experience for customers. We're an ASX 100 company, and we're in a lot of other countries as well. Um, and just this year, we launched our new 2025 strategy. Um, and it's, it's a nice, simple one to create number one digital marketplaces for vehicles around the world. Um, and this is nice and generic, um, and it's going to mean different things to different people. So, you know, it was a, a step up from the last uh, strategy that we had that was our 2022 vision. Um, and we took that away first into our individual departments because, you know, technology is going to have different uh, requirements or outcomes or meaning brought into this vision than product or legal or people and culture or marketing and all the other important areas of the business. So we talked about that as large groups. Then we brought it into our empowered team uh, leadership group and talked about, okay, so the work that we have in flight, the planning that we've already done, how does this potentially change the outcomes that we're after? And we were lucky in that a lot of the goals that we have for you know Q3, Q4 and beyond were already largely aligned to this. It did mean one or two of the um, OKRs were shifted slightly um, to have a, a better alignment with that vision. But we were able to do that quite simply and then feed that on into the teams that are helping to create um, the, the applications and the, the outcomes to achieve those projects and those outcomes. Um, and then it really just feeds into the day-to-day -day machinery of those squads operating um, and the systems you have in place to keep those teams running smoothly. So 
um, yes, we've been through a shift, but it it filtered through the right layers of leadership to end up um, being minimally impactful on the day to day um, and the the goals that we had at the short term and medium term. Very cool. Thanks for that, Dan. How about uh, Bergu? Yeah, sure. A change, um, change is is now part of our our life. I've seen I've been part of organizations where, um, from a technology perspective, with a lot of new technologies coming in as well, there is a shift from moving from on-prem to cloud technologies. That that it. Uh, has a big impact on the technology teams. There are people who have worked probably about 10 years on on the on-prem applications, on the desktop applications. And as a vision, when we see that in the next five years or next three years, we are going to adopt all the cloud platform, that's a big impact to the teams. Uh, But what we have to carefully do is ensure that the migration path in going to the vision is 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 laid out properly and like dan said we need to make sure that the impact on each of these teams is minimal but we also try to uh, get them upscale get them the, the there is a breakdown of how we achieve it and then we need to make sure that at each step we are uh, you know getting the right people in there and make sure we move towards that definitely i agree um philip how about you well, it's an interesting case for Zip because the overall mission with Zip has always been to help people live fearlessly and help better uh, help them manage their finances better. But over the past couple of years, with the economy going south and things not as great as they were, what Zip has done, and of course, I don't want to get in trouble, but effectively, this is what is in the public domain: is they there are a lot of Zip used to be in a lot more countries than it is now. Uh, primarily, now we have markets in Australia, New Zealand, and the United States. It used to be in, in much lo- um, much larger markets. So that overall vision has not changed, but how and where it actually happens has significantly changed. So there's a lot of uh, different branches uh, that we are trying to reach out uh, into uh, like the business that are no longer in play and and the focus is now on helping day-to-day customers uh, be able to manage their finance as well at the same time the shift in the overall strategy of the company is to, to shift from a growth based business to a business that is more focused on being profitable um, and having those margins uh, just in this kind of environment where profitability is more important than trying to grow for the sake of growth. So if you think about how does that translate to our teams, it makes things much more simple because we only focus on a few more markets and the teams are far less responsible for doing more, but at the same time doing less in, in fewer places, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, how your companies may change in the few years time and how these, I guess, uh, you know, different visions um, 
getting implemented will kind of go forward from, you know, this point forward. Um, but yeah, thanks for your inputs for that question. Um, and now leading on from that, I think it's great to kind of get back to you again, Dan, if you don't mind and ask you, um, do you have maybe work that you would classify as important that isn't represented in your company's vision? And if so, how do you make space for it? Uh, yeah, I think a, a big part of any um, technical team's workload will come down to that technical enablement work and the, the reduction of um, tech debt uh, within the space to ensure long-term health and um, maneuverability of the product suite that you have. So uh, this often isn't represented at that company vision explicitly. It's, it's still critical work. We wouldn't be doing the work if it wasn't critical um, or we didn't see the value in it, but being able to um, communicate that and have it weighed up against the other pieces of work is often a challenge. What we've started doing um, within my squad, and then we're trying it at a technology-wide um, initiative level as well, is creating that ubiquitous language and including value propositions that um, you would see against product roadmap items against technical enablement items. We've also just abandoned the label of tech debt entirely because of the, the bad juju that it comes with. Um, so working each quarter for me, what this means is working each quarter with my product manager and you know there is a product roadmap and then I have my technical enablement roadmap as well. And that's got things that the squad needs and our product suite needs, as well as those wider overarching um, things like AWS cost reductions or um, migrations to newer platforms, re removing redundant systems that everybody was using previously, those kinds of things. And we sit together and figure out, okay, well, we have um, decided that this is going to be our objective for the quarter based on that company vision. Are any of these easily aligned to that vision and could we create key results around them? And then we're opting at the moment for at least a one-one-one representation where we have one major product initiative for the quarter, one company-wide tech initiative, and then at least one small thing that the squad wants to work on that'll just make those developers' lives a little bit nicer. Um, and this is the first quarter that we've tried it. It's working really well so far, and we're looking to roll it out and just help the rest of the technical leaders um, within car sales to be able to assign that value and tell that story um, in a way that uh, non-technical stakeholders can really buy into and, and share that information and the, the outcomes around. Right, cool. Thanks for that, Dan. Um, uh, Philip, what are your thoughts? Um. Well, keeping the lights on is probably the most unglamorous, but most vo most valuable thing that we could possibly do as leaders. Uh, if if you ask me if that's ever going to be a bullet point on a slide, it's probably not. Uh, I'm just going to be honest there. We do allocate a certain amount of time to making sure we fix the technical debt. But as Dan pointed out, there's actually more value in saying, what are the things that we want to fix and what problems that it actually want is going to make this appear? Um, and, and that's more of, of a lesson that it's, it, we in tech learn the hard way. Uh, you can't just call it tech debt. 
You have to be able to sell it. <laughs> you really have to sell it to people who actually sell products to people, which is kind of ironic. Uh, but that's basically what it comes down to. It's it's if there was something that's just not there as part of the vision, but it's probably the most critical thing is, yes, every company starts at a point where there's startup. There's all this stuff or the, these these let's call it technical debts that they've incurred that they said they'll pay one fine day and they never get to. And, and later on about, let's say two tech generations later, and that's, let's just say that's three or four hiring cycles. Uh, whatever team has inherited that work now has to go to the product teams and say, right, we have to fix this. Otherwise it doesn't look like we're going to execute on this vision. And, and it's, it's, it's at that point where you start to see whether the company is going to succeed or fail. Because the successful leaders actually understand that you also need to keep the lights on, but you also need to be developing product. But it's it's always that perpetual struggle of prioritization uh, and, and trying not to call it tech debt. <laughs> it's almost like a bad word, but it isn't. It's just a case of, well, we need to make sure that we're tackling the right technical debts. Because I'm not going to say that all technical debt is stuff we need to pay off, but there are some big fish that we should always be going after. Uh, and and at the same time, as engineers and, and as managers, we need to be able to cl- be clear about what those things are. And and that's that's more of an art rather than a science. Some interesting points there. Thank you. Um, Raghu. Yeah, uh, great points, both by Dan and uh, Philip, and uh, specifically to the point which uh, Dan made, and uh, which I was part of in one of my previous organizations, is having the tech roadmap enabled or aligning with the product roadmap as well, and uh, showing that value uh, in terms of how technology changes can impact uh, or help the customers as well in terms of driving not just cost to the company, or uh, it can also be in terms of uh, time. Maybe we automate something, it saves time in future, probably. um, And then what benefit we can get out of that time as well. Maybe we can add an additional feature back into the product. So these kind of things which add value is what we can go back to the management saying that you know you, doing this work will will help us or benefit the product in a different way. It's not just a product feature where we are adding to. Great, thank you. Does anybody have some comments that you want to make? Nope. All good. Oh, sorry, I couldn't get the mic button. Fast oh enough. no! Oh. Um, no, I really like um, Phil's analogy, right? It, it is the debt that you incur. In in most cases, as developers, you know, we're rarely doing Greenfield's work. It's We're standing on the shoulders of giants to build the latest something on top of an existing platform. But at mm-hmm. the same time, you're also held back by the sins of the past in terms of that tech debt. So it's, it's this fine balancing act. Sometimes the people who came before us in those um, tech generations uh, are our heroes and sometimes they're the villains <laughs> sometimes they're us <laughs> yeah when you've been at car sales for eight yes. years it's often me that i find in the uh, git blame who who yes. did something questionable i've done that many times and i'm like who is this person who has brought this pain upon me and i'm like oh man it's us oh, me yeah. But what, what a growth journey we've been on to be able to look at that and say, yes, we did the wrong thing and we know how to do better now. 
the other the other the other thing that's also worth pointing out is that in a lot of these tech debt assessments there isn't much weight put into the generational component to it you you never really quite think of what is it how is this going to look like three generations down it, you know my super enterprise architecture app how is that going to look like three generations down when the person's just going to be screaming at me far into the future and saying what was this person thinking I just want to also like point out, like I'm having loving the conversation here, um, but I am just warning you guys beforehand, the next question is going to involve the word tech depth in it. So just bear with me. But um, Philip actually brought a really interesting scenarios based question. I do want to ask you, so might also get you to answer the question first, Philip. So let's say you have 10 stakeholders multiple and multiple tech teams with a mountain of tech depth. How do you align the needs of engineering versus the needs of your stakeholders to match the company's vision? Okay. Um, <laughs> there's the TLDR version. There's the sh not so shorter version, and then there's a super long version. I'll start with the TLDR one, which is pick a baby to sacrifice. Um, because you're not, there's no right choice here. And it, Oftentimes, it is the impossible choice because you have tech teams that ha will always have technical debt that at one capacity or the other. Um, turns out in my job, I actually do have 10 stakeholders. So that was kind of a biased question towards me. In the, and I admit that was a bit selfish. Um, but the answer to that is you you get them in a room you 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 point to the company vision as we say and say right so out of all these things that you want what is the business value that we get out of it and of all these things that you want to do you look at the technical debt that is what what are the things that are in our way that what are the impediments that are in the team's way when i say teams i mean multiple teams that are preventing us from getting to that end state and asking them across multiple quarters, what are you willing to sacrifice now so that we could get to that state? Because the problem that a lot, of, a lot of companies do is they always think about things in terms of quarters. But when you think of things in terms of years and so on, it's quite easy to say, right, so we're gonna bite the bullet within the next three months or maybe even six months. And then there, we can easily see that the team's going to ramp up in terms of speed because they're no longer fighting the system. Uh, it's not a perfect scenario either because not everybody out of that 10 is going to be happy. But as long as you can say, well, this is what we're going to get and you're going to see results, that's how you start to get buy-in. It's not an easy process. There's no magical bullet. You know, there's no silver bullet that'll get you there. But you have to make those hard calls. And as the saying goes, if everything is valuable, then nothing is valuable. You really have to make the call. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be going around in circles. And I've seen this happen in many teams where they're like, right, I'm going to ch chase the next rabbit. And it turns out it's, it's an issue with one customer uh, that rarely happens like once every six months. And then, you know, the team is going off somewhere and it, it doesn't really add the value that you think it would be. So prioritization is everything because no matter how many people you've got on across your teams, the problem is not 
the number of people you have. It's the problem is always prioritization, making sure that you're doing the right thing at all times. Mm. So that's a long version. <laughs> Thank you. How about you, Rico? What are your thoughts? I completely agree with Philip on that because business value and the vision, these are the two things which we need to put those technical data against and, and assess what is the priority of it. Is it something which we can live with? Is it really an issue for the customer or did they adapt by changing their process? So that's that's the important questions which we need to go through, assess each and every item, make sure what is still giving us a value if we fix that and then get a priority list. And even within that priority, we can probably um, look at that, okay, this is my first set of priority list item. It may change in the next quarter or in the next half year. So it's, it's an ongoing process. We can't just leave it that this is my first priority list and then and, and, uh, we need to come back always, assess it again and again. Cool. And Dan? Yeah, um, following, this nicely follows on from the, the last question around, you know, how do you, how do you make space for it? And for me, um, as I said earlier, it's about justification and really doing that legwork before you get in the room with those 10 stakeholders to know the impact of what each item on your tech roadmap will be um, and have figures to be able to justify the value, right? We, I know I've been guilty in the past of, you know, I, I know that this is important, so you should trust me on this. And that doesn't really fly that well. You want to be able to communicate it in a way that they're communicating the value of features that they're after to you. Um, you know, all's fair. Um, so I've done this in the past where, you know, we looked at, um, we, we keep very loose timesheets um, and we just looked at the amount of time that had been spent and I tried to narrow it down to what I thought work was around this one particular long running issue we had. Um, and then I was able to justify, I'd be like, if we address this one item of tech debt, <laughs> tech enablement, sorry, um, we would have X percentage available um, back out of our BAU budget um, for the next quarter, right? Uh, it's being able to have those um, figures handy and uh, have a robust discussion about what that would mean for the future. Planning ahead is um, often easier said than done, but I've, you know, I've, I've found that doing the legwork ahead of time has really helped me uh, be sure of what I want to, uh, which hill I want to die on, and. Um, I would also say that with 10 stakeholders, really just get a buddy, right? <laughs> you don't want to be going up against them alone. And this is where we have like, we have a, a large empowered leadership team for my particular area within car sales. But then I also have my little leadership team within the squad, right? I got my product manager, my product owner, my delivery lead uh, and a lead designer as well. Um, really got that uh, cross-functional areas of expertise and leadership where we unite and talk about, well, what's important to us? How are we going to achieve this? And then we go back and present that unified front to the conglomerate of stakeholders because really you want the ideas and the input and the, the creativity of the masses, but you don't want leadership by committee. So having just that, that nucleus of people who get to make the call um, has been really impactful and allowed us to move with speed. Hmm. Well, to Dan's point, it, it really comes down to two things. Bring friends and bring data um, and bring lots of data and bring pretty charts uh, because I, I've seen this myself. Uh, 
it's one thing, and, and I've seen this with many developers where they they they're very passionate about what should be fixed, but if you don't quantify the either the missed opportunity or the business value in the sense of either customers that you might miss out on or opportunities that will have to or priorities that will have to be shifted because we're just trying to get our head above the water, then it's it puts you in a bad position. But if you come prepared, it's always it's always a win-win situation. I'd say 80, 90% of the time, but it puts you in a good spot. Let's put it let's say let's put it that way. You're not able to be immediately dismissed. No, um, um, with some of the worst stakeholders, and you're able to have really good conversations with the better ones, and the more technical ones say, "Here, here's the query. You could run it yourself." And, and they agree. And, yeah, definitely. And within the conversation, they are sitting on the table because they also want to see an improvement or a way forward. So they'll they'll definitely be able to accept once we show the data or the business value in in what we are proposing. Yeah, some great points there. Thanks, everyone. And this brings us to the end of today's discussion of executing effective leadership to align with a company's vision. Thanks again to our panelists, Raghu, Philip, and Dan. I'm sure your inputs would be beneficial source of information to our listeners within the tech community. This was Alice, and I'll see everyone again on the next episode of the Evolution Exchange Podcast.